Welcome back to World Review Commentary. This is your host, George Butler, along with... Charlotte Littlefield-Brown. And uh, I'd like to invite the the listening audience... Okay, go ahead. uh, uh, ...to uh, visit our websites. We have We the People Radio Network, which is WTPRN.com. Our guest, Alan Watt, his website is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And, of course, our website is thesecrettruth.com and that's for the benefit of people who are driving and maybe they want to go home and get on the computer and We continue. also have worldreview.tv that we're broadcasting on right today. Charlotte. Oh I, yes, I did that wrong. We have a couple George. of programs. We have thesecrettruth.com and worldreview.tv. And they're blending together on. But go in there to, to We the People Radio Network and there's a contribution uh click off in there, hypertext link. Go in there and and uh, give them some money. Welcome back Alan Watt to the program. It's a pleasure. Uh, this this occultic system of rule, um, it's very powerful, is it not? Incredibly powerful. When you look at, you see, people are so detached now from even recent history. They don't get much recent history. In fact, their children are taught now that history is irrelevant, and that's intentional. And yet, if you don't know your history, you don't know what's going on today because the past controls the future, as George Orwell said. And the, the, the feudal system that ran us for a thousand years in Europe never left us. It never left us. And it was all based on better blood, special breeding, and selection of mates to have this special blood, this special gene. And they called them blue bloods, of course. And um, it goes all the way up to royalty, the best of all, supposedly. And they have orders within there, knightly orders, and, and knights of the garter, and so on. And um, these orders at the bottom uh, are for good works towards the great work, as they call it. The great work is the the foundation of of a new governmental system, a system for the entire planet, uh, run by those who deem themselves the fittest to rule over the people. That's what it's all based on. And Cecil Rhodes, when he set up the the main organization to start... uh, where all the rest of them came from they all belong to the main organization the Rhodes Foundation Uh, he said we shall base this on a secret society similar to the Jesuits and they have they have and they also give out awards just like the Jesuits do with higher orders to those who play the game and you'll notice that many of your presidents um, after they, they, they left the presidency went over and got knighted by the Queen uh, Kissinger even went over and got knighted by the Queen. Uh, Juliana in New York went over and got knighted by the Queen. Uh, it seems to be a very, very important thing for them to be knighted by the Queen. And uh, the higher up the orders in, in the knighthood they become, eventually they're eligible to intermarry into that better stock, as they call it. They're given the right to do so. So Alan Greenspan, say, Alan Greenspan, when he retired, went over there and took a job at the... Uh, yeah, Her Majesty's Treasury. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. See, we're, we're already international. But really, the U.S. and, and uh, um, Britain have been joined at the hip for, as I say. Carl Quigley said that this par- he called it the parallel government. He said this parallel government has existed for 50-odd years. That was back in the 60s he said that. So we've got 100 years of it. It's already there. And really, politics is just a sideshow for the public because he said that every president who's picked in the United States from either party, including their advisors, are always members of the same Council on Foreign Relations. 
Well, today, today one of those subgroups is out of Chicago, as I understand. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Chicago Foreign Relations, I think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. they have their own table yeah. societies, and uh, and many other groups uh, are all in a pyramid-type structure, all belong to and give allegiance to it. Yeah. I think Barack Obama's wife is the director of that uh, subgroup up there in Chicago. Yes. Uh-huh. Michelle. Yeah, she's so they they, they time in. They, what they do is get. What? How do you see this presidential uh, race shaping up? Someone, some people have told me, and the rumors are that Hillary has been sort of picked to go into the White House. What do oh, you think? I've no, no doubt that she's been groomed whenever she does get in. But she's been. They're always groomed. They're groomed long before the public ever hear their names. In fact, many years, many years before. Uh, and again, that's backed up by Carol Quigley and others. Um, these are people who are vetted. They never allow someone who is not vetted and is not part of this same organization, this structure that Kennedy's talking about there and quickly is talking about. Uh, they never let an outsider get in. They just can't get in. Well, even Kennedy attended, uh, as a young man, the London School of Economics. That's right, and that's only a branch so, of the same group because the Oxford that runs the Rhodes Scholarship also runs at the London School of Economics. You know what they always leave out, Alan? London School of Economics and Political Science. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. And Political Science. They always leave that out for some reason. I, I don't know. Do they do they purposely leave that out, or do they just shorten the name of it? They just shorten the name. Uh, you, you tend to find that the ones that come out of the Rhodes Scholarships end up as presidents and high bureaucrats in charge of state departments especially, and foreign offices and your intelligence services. And uh, the ones who are sent to, to the London School of Economics, they can still end up as presidents, but their, their role mainly is to, to push the socialization of society by incurring more debt. So they, they play the left wing. That's their job. They play both sides, the dialectic. But it's both, it's one, it's, they both belong to Oxford University. Right. Yeah. Not to uh, divert the conversation too far off, but what about uh, Jacqueline Kennedy? And her son, and uh, why why did he uh, have to die? <laughs> and uh, um, yeah. and you know the the whole the, the peripheral people associated with uh, John F. Kennedy. Yeah, what about Jacqueline? Well, Jacqueline is an interesting person because you see in the high religions too. Remember, old Joseph had worked his way up through nefarious means himself to get to a position, just like the pirates used to do. And when you take Yale University and most of the big guys there belonged to this British society at the time too, set up by Elihu Yale in the US. I mean, I guess it goes back a long, long ways. They made their money in the opium wars, including Kerry and the Bush's family um, against China. Well, the Kennedys made their money through prohibition and smuggling cocaine and, and alcoholing in, in with the Bromflins from Canada into the US. And then when Canada put in prohibition and the US stopped it, they simply reversed the flow. They used Cuba as their main base, so Cuba was always very important to them for drugs and booze, and they actually ran ocean liners to smuggle all this stuff in. So he'd done great work, old Joseph, as I say, he was always over to see the royal family and, and stay with them. Um, so he was given permission to intermarry into higher genetic stock. And Jacqueline Kennedy uh, is very interesting because Benjamin Franklin, when he joined the Hellfire Club in England, uh, a higher Masonic group, uh, that also went under the name of uh, the Order of Misrule because they had orgies and so on. Uh, they had a particular type of brothel attached to them, not ordinary um, prostitutes, 
these women were from selected families and the honour was given to occasional person who served the great work they could mate with them for the offspring and, and the one he mentioned that was the head of that uh, particular house attached to the Hellfire Club was, was Madame Bouvier and, and that's the great 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 grandmother of Jacqueline Kennedy so she came from that stock, that high breeding stock I'm speechless. <laughs> and boy, I tell you, that is an insight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alan, you, how long have you studied uh, this world system? Uh, over the, how, how long have you been at this, really studying it in detail? Uh, since I was born. <laughs> since you, you said once that when you were when we were just an infant, you started looking around and noticing that the way it, it worked, right? The way it really yeah. works. Is that sort of a way that you you sort of got onto some of this these these uh, yes, systems? I did. I, did. I, I saw. I, I knew and intuitively I, I saw people arguing, fighting for basic necessities in a country that supposedly had gone through not just world wars but perpetual wars for about 200 years uh, all for the, the sake of the, the Bank of England and debt and so on and I wonder why so many peer, people were simply poor uh, if they plundered the planet which they had uh, how come the majority of the public in England and Scotland uh, Ireland and Wales were basically poor but you had this incredibly wealthy elite living in and around London uh, very old families and uh, I realized then, very young, the system was totally controlled, right down through economics. They knew just how much to pay the working families to keep them in poverty, never get ahead, and, uh, and to use the, how to use them in warfare. Um, I studied that in detail, and when I got access to, and I was given access to adult libraries at a very early age, and I went into the old libraries, I used to walk four or five miles sometimes at weekends to get into them uh, when I was about six and seven and read books that had been printed in the 1700s in reference parts of the libraries that told you the histories as they happened at the time. And I compared it to what I was being taught at school that time, that, 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 in my time, and they were completely different histories, completely different histories. So the schools were, already had their histories completely altered uh, to suit the times and later on when I read George Orwell's 1984 the main character was Winston whose job it was working for this big bureaucracy his job was to eradicate certain parts of history and, and alter it and I realized they've always been doing this they've always been doing it and again Professor Carl Quigley backs that up in his own book because he takes the records of the Council on Foreign Relations uh, from the records department he was the historian for them and, and fills in all the blank parts of history that you're not told in your regular books. And it, you see, most of the mainstream authors that you've had for 50-odd years have, have um, been authorized to write what they write. They're told what to write. And another book has come out recently with declassified documentation stating that very thing from your poets to your artists to your authors the main characters you've had for 50-odd years were run by the CIA. Right, and additionally, the people aren't just told what to do. Um, they're given money. They're given yes. an easy life. Uh, things all of a sudden become easy. A yes. comfort zone, right? And, and yeah, and they... Right, and they... Exactly. So it's, 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 it's persuasion, it's threats, it's bribery, it's mm -hmm. these type of antics. Not a genuine desire to, um, you know, to serve or whatever, however you want to... 
mm-hmm. frame that, but well, I think they're most, bribed. Yeah, most people, though, are in sort of a delusional state, and they're not fully awake and aware of the way it really works. Is, they is don't know. I'll tell you, you, I had, I'll get a little story how it really works, because a man phoned me up. Uh, he was an author and a registered author. He'd written other books before. Now, most folks think that you as a little writer send off your stuff to the publication, the publishers, and they review it and say yes or no. And then maybe they'll back you and, and give you some funding and, and publish the book. It doesn't work that way. This guy was phoned by Penguin Books, who told him to write um, the dummies book on Revelations. You have these dummies books for this and so on. The dummies books. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a whole collection of those. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and told him the format and the whole thing. And and uh, he asked me to, if I'd bring him on my program and give him an expose. Yeah. And so I, I said, I don't want to fool people any, any, at all. I said, <laughs> I know exactly where you'll go with this this book, the, the programming. And at the end, he tried and tried, and he says, eventually, I'll tell you, is he desperate to get me to, to do this? He says, he says, he says, <laughs> really want to be on the show? Yeah, he says, I believe in, in helping widows and orphans. And I says, I don't care, I'm not a mason. <laughs> that was a, that was a, a, a plea for help. Oh my God! Yeah, but but that's what happened. Penguin phoned him to write the book on it. Well, Penguin's tied to Financial Times of London, all that, right? Yes. Yeah, that's who owns all that Penguin, uh, that Penguin uh-huh. print house, and all that. And, so, and I was and then we too. get back to them again, huh? And I was phoned what? too, on more than one occasion. By big powers, big powers. Well, you know who uh, published uh, uh, Greenspan's book, Penguin? Did. Oh yeah, but I've been offered too if I would just go along with this alien agenda that's very important to confuse the public. Uh, they'd, uh, they'd publish all my books on it and so on, and I'd be writing high. And I said no. Well, you have integrity, Alan. That's it. And I also got a threat after that from a, a big publisher who said he'd phone radio stations and tell them not to have me on anymore. Because well, they can phone me all day. Them. I'll have you on any time, you know, you want to be on my show, you know, yeah. on our program. Yeah. Gentlemen, um, I have uh, something. Uh, in John F. Kennedy's speech, the one that we just played, the uh, the president and the press, um, he talked about a lot of things, but one of the things that he talked about was it was important that we talk about the international news Yes. And of course, we we know that we don't communicate. Uh, the public's, you know, the public of Canada doesn't directly communicate with the public of America or Mexico or Paraguay or, you know, pick your country. Uh, of course, that's all, you know. What type of uh, is there any informal communication between these countries that's not regulated that you're aware of? I I, I can't think of any. You mean press-wise or? Right. Or? Yeah, uh, well, no, yeah. no, there's not. Everything is controlled. All the big newspapers are all controlled, again, and authorized to be there. And uh, even Quigley mentions all the papers. He mentions the top characters who own them and what allegiance they have to which societies. So uh, we can't um, communicate as a as a people. Just I'm not, you know, no state, no nation, none of that, but just people to people. Uh, you know, we're very isolated in that very sense. We're kept in our little boxes. Uh, yeah. And the internet, that's a big, big source of communicating today. It's a, a source, but again, even Brzezinski talked about that long before we heard of the computer. He said eventually a form of communication would be given to the public, which they will think 
is to help them communicate to each other, but in fact will be help will actually develop a new world culture, will be controlled in other words, because the biggest sites out there are aimed at the young and uh, and it's meant to tantalize them and fascinate them and also to put ideas in their heads towards this new system that's coming in. It's like the semantic web. It's another level of control and and uh, you know creating ideas and you know yeah. invoke, evoking those. We got to cut away here for a second. We'll be right back, Alan. News, politics, cover-ups, government corruption. You're listening to We the People Radio Network. WTPRN. Welcome back to World Review Commentary. This is your host, George Butler, along with... Charlotte Littlefield-Brown. Welcome back, Alan Watt. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I think uh, Charlotte was trying to make a point, maybe uh, like email or something on the web. That, hasn't that opened up the world a little bit more than before? As far as uh, we, we know that uh, that you know the internet can be used for good and for bad purposes. But would email be like? What is the kind of feedback you're getting on your sites today? Are you getting some positive feedback and trying to progress yeah. this thing towards more truth or what? Yes, yeah, especially from those with more of an open mind. They don't just jump in and pick sides and all this kind of thing. They don't go into chat rooms and just argue. That's what's, that's very uh, disturbing. Maybe we'll get into these things. They follow them like football teams. And, uh, people yeah, they the do, don't they? Are, take sides, yeah. Yes, and that's intentional. They understood the humanity, they understand humanity very well. But what I'm getting is a lot of positive feedback from from young people who are open and they're, they're standing back and watching and learning and asking the right questions because they're going to live through the brunt of the changes, the big changes that are coming upon us right now as we go into this global system with the scientific um, dictatorship styles because we've been, uh, see part of this big institution that runs the world also uses the sciences to, to the limit and they decided long ago when they put out uh, people like Huxley and others and Galton Darwin that they would create a, a new type of peasantry, a more improved peasantry uh, of the world, uh, and, uh, and actually genetically alter them to be better workers. Well, we see the rush toward through genetics. That's why the, the incredible funding for, for since, since the early 1900s towards genetics has gone on, is to fill this, fulfill this agenda. Because we, to the elite, we, the ordinary people now, are obsolete. The old system's gone. We're post-industrial. We're, we're, we're post-agriculture, post-industrial, and really post-technological. All the technology now is in China. They don't need the people in the West, so they're going to drastically reduce the populations. It's all through the literature that they put out themselves. In fact, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, if you look into their website, you'll see where they've had international meetings on, on the control of all foodstuffs in the world. And, and uh, you wouldn't believe that every facet of your life, political, economic, um, uh, social, uh, career-wise, is all controlled. The, the future is being controlled by the decisions of these organizations within the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the, uh, the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, they run the whole system, and they have unlimited financing to do so. And they publish yeah, a lot of their findings on their own magazine, um, the Foreign Affairs magazine they put out every month. 
Yeah. The one that's always gotten me is that unlimited financing. <laughs> you know that. Well, I guess when you create the money out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Yes. You. Oh, it's quite simple. Have, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have a document on your site, the uh, UK Department of Defense document. Yeah. So if you go into cutting uh, through the matrix dot com. On Alan Watts' site, you'll find a document there that you can download and read. And uh, it, what, what it is, it predicts the future. They're trying to predict the future about different aspects of, of the world system. Yes, the they, they know. And this is from the Department of Defense for Britain, which is also the head of NATO. And uh, we, we're part of NATO uh, charters, and so is the U.S. And what they've come up with is, is uh, gradually escalating riots amongst the general public uh, across the Western world for the next 30 years. They don't tell you why there'll be riots, but of course, if you read their, their plans, you understand that it's to, the, the whole way of life that we're so used to, uh, families, uh, but families be under attack for a long time. They declared it obsolete back in the 1920s. They'd have to destroy the family unit, so you had a war on families. Um, they, they also uh, talked about... Um, a new a scientifically controlled future where you wouldn't get born unless there was a job for you to fulfill. In other words, they needed you. Um, they talked about killing off inferior types that, that were mentally below par because eugenics, they run the eugenics societies which are now called bioethics committees, by the way. That's what they are. the same eugenics societies run by the Rockefeller Foundation. It sounds a lot better, bioethics, doesn't it? It's much more fuzzy and warm. Yeah. <laughs> it, it makes me feel so good. Yes. <laughs> and it's 40 degrees outside up here in Dallas today. Yes. Tell you. So, so yeah, the, 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 the world they're going to bring in, and we're going into it now, is to be one where our brains, our minds will be controlled electronically. And uh, they've had world meetings about this at Loyola University in Louisiana where they, they say they have a brain chip ready to go for implant. All they have to do now is convince the public of the necessity to take it. And uh, Newt Gingrich, by the way, is, is the head, uh, is the spokesman. He's in overall charge of this particular project. They never retire, these men. And um, the head man from Japan, the professor, he said, think of the society that's coming up more like the beehive, he says, It'll be impossible for an individual to even understand that they are an individual. They will be unable to perceive that. And you'll hear this hum all day long uh, through your head as the computers send signals to all those around you and to you and back and forth and so on. This is the new society they want to bring in. And they're ushering it in through, mainly through science fiction to the young. Uh, even their cartoon characters have chips in them that give them special power. They're talking about a virtual reality, not a real reality, but a, a, an almost reality. And it, it really goes into this Matrix-type scenario that you saw in the movie called The Matrix. That's what they want to bring in, a controlled society where everyone is completely predictable, predictable because they will be programming you. So they don't want anyone to overcome that system, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And this is no... This so they're going to... Yeah. yeah, this isn't uh, speculation. It's not speculation. Uh, we've been under attack physically and psychologically and um, through, through different means since they first gave us inoculations. When you go back into the histories of inoculations, and I went to it early on when I, I, I realized something was drastically wrong with the side effects of inoculations, 
And then I found uh, people like, uh, like Mr. Salk who gave us the polio vaccine. Up until then, this man had been, uh, had been the, one of the strongest advocates for the reduction of population by any means possible for the American Eugenic Society run by the Rockefeller Foundation and suddenly he's coming out with something to help you you know, uh, something's wrong with that picture and since those inoculations people have been dropping dead like crazy by cancers, escalating nothing happens in nature in a short period of time and 40-50 years is nothing and yet you see okay. the biophysical effects on people you see them coming down with early arthritis uh, cancers you see, them, uh, you see the men um, uh, losing uh, the sperm count has gone down 75% of the person pre-1950. So we're, the men today are three-quarters sterile. The females have all the problems with the ovaries and so on. And you can see it in actually the bio, physical and biochemical changes in the structure of the physical body. The men are losing their shoulders. The women are losing their hips. That does not happen in nature in 50 years unless something has caused it to happen. And then you go into the writings of Charles Galton Darwin and his book 19, in the 1950s is called The Next Million Years where he talks about the need to do this to the general public to stop them breeding and sterilize them. He says we'll introduce hormonal changes into their body either through the food, uh, through inoculations or spraying from the air or putting it in the water. Yeah. But aren't these people uh, being subjected to the same things? No. No. Are they living underground right now? Yeah, yeah, this is an interesting part about it because, for instance, the aristocracies of Europe ran on a feudal system, and they still do. And Prince Charles alone has about, I don't know how many, hundreds of, of tenant farmers who still, hereditary tenant farmers who still work lands that he owns. And all these people do too, they all have their own. They don't eat the same food that you get, they don't have cattle that are inoculated with all kinds of things. They don't have modified uh, corn or wheat or anything else. They have the natural stuff. And so they, they themselves will be unaffected by it. We'll have to take another break real quick here, and we'll be right back, Alan. Thank you. Welcome back to World Review Commentary. I'm George Butler along with... Charlotte Littlefield-Brown. Welcome back, Alan Warren. It's a pleasure to talk with you. On, on the positive side of things, what, what can we do? We can do broadcasts. We can do publications like you're doing. What other types of uh, interaction with individuals can we do to try to further along the positive side of this world system? It's, it relies mainly on exposure of how it's been done, how it's happened. That's really the main factor, because you see, as I say, what we take for granted, and children growing up take their culture for granted and everything in it. Um, they take the, the internet for granted and uh, the iPods and and all the rest of it for granted. They're getting geared towards a chip, and then most of them all want it. Uh, we've got to show them how this is all planned, not to help them, but to actually control them. And we have to uh, also regain something that the that's been under attack for a long, long time in this cultural system. We've got to retain uh, or, get, or get some values that, 
that will help us survive because the values we've been given for the last 50 years are very debasing. It's intentional. Uh, we've looked at the worst side of human nature that's been promulgated on television series after series until we, we mimic what we see, as Plato said, the public always do. And he understood culture creation. We've got to uh, start getting some proper values back. If we don't, we're doomed because it's right down to the individual now. This is a battle, really, and not for the minds of the masses, it's for the minds of the 20% or under 25, maybe 15% who are conscious of what's happening and have an ability to, to put that out to the public. Um, uh, the public always follow what they perceive as winners. They don't really care, and, and that's a fact in all ages. It's always a minority who thwart the most evil plans and, and di or divert it at least to give us breathing space to recoup because we, we have been under attack our whole lives long and we never knew it. We never knew it. We never knew that the psychological machinery of propaganda was so advanced uh, and coming across the airwaves uh, uh, at such a pace uh, simply to make us misunderstand reality, to give us false perceptions of reality and to make us happy to go along with any agenda that we heard about as long as the government had given backing to it. Um, we've got to stop that and regain our individuality. That's, that's of prime importance because the society that's been created and they've said this at the top meetings in the world, their main enemy is individuality. Uh, an individual is more frightening to them than the, the masses. The masses they know uh, will never come to a conclusion by themselves. They adopt opinions given by experts. And, and so, but it's the individuals that scare them, especially individuals with knowledge who can put it across to others in a, 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 a way which is um, understandable to them, uh, giving them the right kind of evidence and proof, and then leaving them with choices because this is the time for choice. Everyone today living through this particular era has the choice uh, to care about what's happening across the world and in their own lives and those around them or not to. Uh, an egocentric society has been purposely created. People are hedonistic. They care about themselves and no one else. And uh, they, they live in a little box, isolated from other people. Many of them enjoy communicating through the Internet. But this is, this is a, an real fake uh, facsimile of, of interacting with real people. You're not really interacting with real people. You're almost in an imaginary world. Uh, a world where, where it's, it's, um, the, the people are missing from the voice. It's a voice in the airways, basically, you're hearing. That's to, to further disassociate you with real interaction with real people. And that's been fostered and it's taken off very well with a lot of people who are addicted to Internet uh, and, and, you know, chat rooms and so on. They're, they're losing contact or interaction um, with real people in society, and even those around them. Is there an inducement somewhat uh, of a dissociative type of uh, disorder in a way? Yes. In other uh, words, to break up well, that personality. Yeah. yeah. This was well well understood back uh, in the 50s and 60s. Professor Marshall McLuhan uh, was one of the top men in this particular field where he talked about this coming age where we shall be contacting people that really voices, he, he said voices in the ether, bodiless voices, uh, all contacting each other in a, a surrealistic setting 
and, and how this could be abused by those who understand the control of the public's minds and how they would actually use that to control the public even more so than they had in his day. And because of his um, investigations into these particular methods of, of behavior control and modification, uh, the CIA were tremendously interested in his work. And, and uh, that's the same time as they were doing the MK Ultra experiments too and all the rest of it. Uh, so the CIA were heavily involved in anything which would control the minds of the public. Now, Brzezinski further uh, followed that up in his book, uh, Between Two Ages. In one chapter, he called it the technotronic era. He says where a, a type, a, a system, will be able to influence the minds of millions of people and they will be completely unaware of the fact that, that their thoughts are not their own a perfect form of mind control, which they'd never suspect was even happening. And he was talking about scalar wave energy and so on, the, the harp type technologies, and that's all being used on the public today. We are under attack, and we have been our whole lives long. Yeah, these days, whenever I don't feel well or I'm in a bad mood or I have no energy, <clears throat> that's what comes into my mind. Okay, is it me or is it a wave <laughs> yes, hitting me? And, and a lot of times they'll be. It seems like everybody has a down day together, and it, it's really kind of. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then there are times when it's just me or whatever. But um, so yeah, that's always a concern. And what I've noticed too. Pardon. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, what I've noticed too, because I get so many phone calls coming in from all over the U.S., Canada, uh, when when the spring is heavily heavy in the skies, and you pick up the harp frequencies on the shortwave radio where you hear it pounding away there 24 hours a day, um, I, I see the moods in the people, and they'll tell me. They feel either tired or, or, or irritable. Uh, and, and so you can actually do your own little informal surveys, and you do find this. It's happening on a mass scale, the same type of mood at the same time. And that's not coincidence. Right. Yeah. And remember, that's written into the, to the, the, the uh, uh, Weather Warfare Treaty at the United Nations that was signed in the, in the 1970s, that that's the easiest thing to induce amongst in the public is either tiredness or mood changes with, with that scalar technology. So uh, what, other, what other things can, have you identified in the public documents, in their uh, writings, their pronunciations, that is coming down the pike? So we're looking at population reduction, micro... Yep. Uh, People won't know it, just a lot of cancers, a lot of illness, uh, over, and so just a dwindling population. A dwindling population. For the West, the, the population was to be taken down more gradually. For countries like Africa, they would be taken down more quickly because they didn't have the power. No one really, unfortunately, cared. And so they could take down Africa quickly. And, uh, and they would bring around this unified world around 2012. That was the date they set for it. The unification of the Americas was to be complete by 2010, and, and they're on schedule. And that was even announced by the Council on Foreign Relations on mainstream television in Canada in 2005. They came on as the Council of Foreign Relations said that they had drafted up these treaties that are being signed right now, and one per year is to be signed until the final one, 2010, that then unification is complete. The, the final Euro, uh, European unification is to be ratified by the Queen of England next year. That's in the newspapers in Britain. 
you think this is an overly ambitious time uh, line to get this done? No. No, I mean, I, I know for a fact, even just talking to people I meet in everyday life, when I mention casually the unification, when they talk about the money and the dollar dropping and so on, I says, well, they're getting ready to merge with Canada. The, the U.S. dollar and the Canadian dollar is on par pretty well, has been for a long time. So, and, uh, and then the, the, the reactions were, well, I guess it's no big deal. We're all much the same anyway, uh, because they've been getting little bits of propaganda through the news. They don't have to do their own thinking about it. The decisions are already made for them. They'll accept it quite happily. The clothing that people wear, you know, when you look at photographs of people from all over the world, they're, they're all wearing the same kind of clothing almost, seems like. Yes, just because, again, going back to Plato, where they understood uh, the art of culture creation and alteration, he said that the public always mimic what they see. That's why it was mandatory in ancient Greece that the traveling shows that came along, the drama shows, everyone had to attend, including the slaves because they were giving moral plays. And if they change morals and upgrade morals and alter them, the people will actually mimic what they see on stage. Today, we mimic what we see on movies, including fashion. Yeah. I got you. Well, I wear whatever I can get my hands on. I guess I don't worry about my fashion. Too much. He, he doesn't look that bad. <laughs> oh, I look great, don't I, Charlotte? <laughs> I said you didn't look that bad. Alan looks pretty good. Okay. Hey, we're going to cut away, and we'll be right back, Alan. Thank you very much. Online and on demand, this is We the People Radio Network. Welcome back to World Review Commentary. This is your host, George Butler, along with Charlotte Littlefield Brown. Welcome back, Alan Watt. It's a pleasure. You know, you 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 described the system earlier as trying to tell people or educate people into the way it really works. But are there emotional problems or barriers that many people have in trying to get there? Absolutely. One of them, of course, is your indoctrination into patriotism. And this is an old technique, again, going back to the days of Plato, where anyone can get to the top. And this is why we go to wars. Most of the public don't need any in-depth explanation as to why you're going off to fight these bad guys. You simply call them bad guys and give them a little bit of propaganda. And then your leaders drape themselves in your tribal emblems that you've been taught are yours. Whatever flag it is, uh, the catchphrase is almost, almost uh, like, like uh, born-again Christians will use. Uh, you use certain catchphrases and tribal uh, customs, and uh, and, you, and they're all cheering you before you know it, and they're ready to go to war and fight whoever you tell them to fight. So they don't have to use that. And when you realize that, that you are being used, that your own emotions are being used on such a primitive level to defend the tribe, basically, for, but not for really to defend the tribe, it's for an ulterior purpose to fulfill a minority's agenda agenda of world conquest so that the elite, as they said a hundred odd years ago, would, would take over all the resources off the planet now that means everything you need to live on, all the mineral resources all of the food resources, that's almost been done, 
And now they're after the water resources. They're actually doing it now. They're taking over the water supplies across the planet into the hands of a few people who are all well-connected, very old families. Uh, so everything that you need to live for sustenance and so on is owned by them. Then you are the worst, the most abused slave in history. That's what it's boiling down to. And, and uh, until you break this, this, this myth that we're all the same, we're not the same whatsoever, the elite don't make any bones about that at the top. They have no problem talking about the, the people or the commoners down beneath them. Um, but they keep it going that we're all the same. We are not the same. We're becoming poorer and poorer technically, and we're definitely becoming less able to live independently. Uh, our ability for that has been taken away for, from us piece by piece until they want a world of interdependence. That means you're not independent. You're interdependent for every need that you require fulfilled, whether it's food, shelter, clothing, and so on. You'll be dependent on the system. So uh, there are many ways of conquest, and people always think of overt warfare. They don't think that most revolutions in the world are quiet and bloodless. Uh, the sexual revolution, the gender revolution, uh, you know, all these revolutions you have are, are they're actually cultural revolutions that alter the structure of society and the way we interrelate with each other uh, but, but we didn't start them other masterminds planned them we go along with them thinking we're going to get something out of it for ourselves and we end up being worse off generally afterwards than we were when we started uh, we're being used and manipulated we're on a chessboard from the day we're born and we don't even know it well, wasn't there a book called Pawns in the Game or at one time or something like that? Yes. My, my, my approach on this is that men exist in a, in a mode of delusion by degree. And it's hard for us to wake up. We, yes. we work all of our lives and we're, in, we're enmeshed in this matrix of education and political indoctrination and stuff. But it's hard for us to come out because of the synergy of these different forces that hold us in this delusion. Absolutely. It's been so overwhelming. As I say, children are brought up now with cartoons that are full of predictive programming. And predictive programming is where thoughts are instilled in your mind primarily through fiction because the sensor part of your brain is down. Your shields are down. You don't, you're not on guard. And so it goes right into your subconscious, these ideas that are, that are brought in there through entertainment. And, and be, then you become familiar with an idea that really is a foreign idea. And, but when it actually manifest in life because it's, it's now familiar to you you think it's a natural progression and you don't fight it you allow it to happen it's almost like a disease isn't it like if you get the wrong headed uh, wrong idea in your head it's almost like catching a disease that controls you it and does. debilitates you you know uh, morally uh, you know what I mean physically and, and psychologically I mean because you've got a psychosomatic uh, interaction here at times uh, seems like and and so these bad, these wrong-headed ideas can feed what's wrong in you, you know, and control you. Oh, completely. That's the whole idea of mind control uh, that, that Aldo Huxley was really an expert in. And uh, just through massive propaganda, the correct indoctrination and, and the control of all information, all mainstream media, um, they give you your thoughts, they give you your opinions, and... Uh, uh, technically, most folk never think for themselves, and that's why again, what Brzezinski said: we are creating a system now where the average person will, will, be, will be unable to reason for themselves. They will actually expect the media to do the reasoning for them. Well, that's happened since he published that book. 
You know, when they started on campuses, college campuses, and declaring certain areas to be free speech areas, was that the beginning of the end? It, it was. It was. But they'd already been at the, the universities forever, to be honest with you. I mean, when you look at every university pretty well in, in Canada and the States, they get grants from the big foundations, including the Rockefeller Foundations. And along with the grants comes little mandates of certain things they'd rather you not talk about and certain ideas you'd rather, they'd rather you promote. So that we've already been under that. The same with public libraries. You think you get all the information in public libraries. Well, for years ago, they, started, they stopped all that. And, and uh, what they're deciding now is what you have access to and what you will not have access to. And so the books now in public libraries are generally authorized to be there. Lots of books have been removed from their shelves over the last 10 years. Right. Is Eustace Mullins, <clears throat> can his work, <clears throat> excuse me, can his work be found in public libraries still? That'd be an interesting test to see. I, I don't know if they're in Canada. I don't know. I know other authors uh, have been taken off of Canadian shelves. Right. Alan, you uh, made an interesting comment a little while back. You were talking about uh, international news. Uh, it was a piece of information you picked up in the British press having to do with um, somebody, I think you said it was the CFR, had announced that they're on schedule with the North American Union. Oh, yes. Yeah. Was that what you were? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. They're, they're on schedule, in fact, in 2005 when they, they signed it at Waco, Texas, the first open partner. They've already been setting up for years. But the first open part that came on national television here in Canada, uh, during that ceremony, uh, they were asked, the President was, and the two Prime Ministers were asked, is this going to be an amalgamation just the same as Europe? And, of course, they tap danced around that. But then Bush jumped in and says, well, there's nothing wrong in having this, this uh, international free trade and so on. But he didn't mention it. It's also signed into the free flow of goods and, and labor across borders. That's part of the same one as Union of Europe. So that's why they're, they're, they're starting to decrease the borders in certain areas. And, um, and he said that there'll be another, another five to sign, uh, or, or four to sign, four or five to sign, and that means it takes you up to the year 2010. So that means they're right on schedule. Okay, let me ask you another question. Where do you think these planes that are dropping their, the aerosol crimes, where do you think those planes are coming out of? Do you they have any have idea to. what country is launching them? Uh, I'm sure there's more in the U.S. than anywhere else because you've got so much. Uh, there's vast territory there, uh, especially desert lands and so on, where there are bases uh, where they could have many of them. Uh, I've noticed they're white. They're white jets. They're military jets. They're uh, very big jets, actually, long. And they're white. There's no markings on them. Uh, and it's interesting when you go back into H.G. Wells' book, uh, shape of things to come, remembering that he was a member of this uh, Royal Institute for International Affairs and employed as a propagandist for them who would write predictive programming in novel form. Um, he mentioned in that particular book the two world wars that would come up, uh, followed by another one, a final one in the Middle East. And he said, he said that the British would begin in Basra. And it's true enough, that's where the British are in Iraq right now. And, sure. that would become, and, um, and that would become the base for, for a huge international air force. And, and sure enough, they're building the biggest uh, uh, runways and hangars than the, they even have in the U.S. So that's to be the, the headquarters for this police of the world. He called it the Freemasons of the air. <laughs> 
that uh, mm. and, and, he's, and, the, and even in his book, the job that these planes had to do was to go over all the countries and gas them, spray them from the air. You know, I've seen those planes over Kilkenny, Ireland, and I've also seen them over London. Yes. Sir. So, uh, yeah, the, the operations are worldwide. As far as I, I, you know, I've been to those countries in the last within the last year and a half. So, they are overseas besides America. And so, I'm thinking um, too on, on the scale that they have them, and the amounts of chemicals they've been spraying since 1998 across the world. They had to have been starting to make uh, those chemicals back at the end of World War Two. They have such a, an incredible stock all ready to go. And, and Alan, you personally feel that people with compromised immune systems are susceptible. Yes. Particularly. It's not that they're, um, it, it's the people that with compromised, the poor food, the antibiotics, the, the crap that is put into yes. our bodies. Uh-huh. Okay, uh-huh. I, I have another question for you when we come back. Um, right. Yeah, but... can you hold over uh, after the top of the hour for a little sure. while, Alan? Sure, I can. Yeah. We'll bring you back and we'll continue that, that questioning by Charlotte. she got some Cracker Jack questions out here for you. Pop, pop, pop. Boy, you can answer them too, Alan. Thank you very much. <laughs> 